Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Sarah Cordovano. Sarah works as Head of Strategy and Governance in Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Berlin. She's originally from Philadelphia and moved to Berlin six years ago. Sarah's background is in data analytics and project management. I met Sarah last month when we were in Berlin visiting our daughter. Having your kid in another country with a war raging close by is not for the faint of heart. Luckily, my husband does work with some great guys in Berlin, and they took us to dinner to assure us that they were there for her if she or we needed anything. At that wonderful dinner, I had the fortuitous pleasure to sit next to Sarah. Talk about my heart-hitting ease. She was my godwink, someone who showed up to remind me that we are not alone and all is well and will be well. She told me her story and of how she's just written a book. Her journey and her intention in writing excited me, so in the spirit of mindful conversations, I thought you'd enjoy her story as well, especially since many of you have mentioned to me that you've thought about writing a book. So without further ado, Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Ah, uh, Sarah, um, I'd love to just... If you're cool, jump in and pretend that you just met someone at a cocktail party and they asked you about yourself. What would you tell them? Yeah, this is a great question. So as you already mentioned, I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion in Berlin. And I just wrote this book called Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, How to Succeed at an Impossible Job. And the book is aimed towards anyone who is starting a job in DEI and wants to know how to get started, how to set a strategy, and how to maintain a healthy relationship with the job. So it's a very practical and hands-on book, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about it today. When you say an impossible job, how do you define an impossible job? What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't mean impossible, like it's not possible to do good work in this type of job. I mean that the expectations that we have on ourselves, the expectations that others have for us, and practically what is possible to achieve in diversity and inclusion work in a for-profit company tends to to not always align with our expectations. And this is where the impossible comes in. The fact that we need to negotiate with this conflict in ourselves. Can you say a little bit more about the conflict within ourselves? Yeah, sure. So essentially, a lot of people, when they get into working in diversity, equity, and inclusion, they have really high hopes. They want to change the world. They want to change the way their company works. They want to really do innovative, creative, grassroots work. And in reality, it's not always like that when you work for a for-profit company, when you work for a company that has its own challenges, has its own structure, its own governance. You know, you have to work within those structures and you can still do really fantastic work. It just might not meet the expectations you had at the beginning. And in the book, do you talk about setting expectations and what that looks like? Yeah, this is one of the big themes of the book, essentially, how do we set expectations with our stakeholders? How do we communicate about what we can accomplish? 
How do we communicate about what we have influence over? And also how we set our own expectations. How do we think about the job? How do we think about what our role is in this entire space? Interesting, because you also mentioned maintaining a healthy relationship with the job. I love those words, healthy relationship. Um, When you think about healthy relationships with a job, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so this this is a this is a theme within the book that I talk about a lot. And I think it's actually very relevant not just to people working in DEI, but essentially anyone working in a job that is very emotionally intense, but they're also very passionate about. So when I talk about this in the book, I really focus on what are some things that you can do? What can you manage in this situation to build that healthy relationship with the job? So maybe I'll tell you a few of the the tricks that I talk about in the book. I was just going to ask you. Great. So the first, and is something I already mentioned, is around setting clear expectations. And again, that's expectations with people who expect things from us, but also expectations with ourselves. Uh-huh. The next is to have a very realistic sense of what is within our control of influence and, and, and um, you know, what, what we do have control over in the workplace, and also what we don't have control over. And that's actually much easier said than done. It actually takes a lot of work to hone that understanding and figure out, you know, what can I change and what can't I change? The next thing is about remembering that we can be passionate about a topic, we can be passionate about a job, but this is still work. And this is still something that we are paid to do for our expertise and the time that we put in. And we need to keep that in mind. You know, we don't want to work for free. We don't want to exhaust ourselves in a job um, because at the end of the day, it's just a job, right? This is a, I think in some industries and in some careers, it's easier to remind ourselves that this is just a job. But I think when you're so passionate about something, it's it's more difficult to, to remember that. And And maybe one last thing I'll mention, it's about using the time outside of work to really refresh and re-energize. So we know when we have a really intense and stressful job, we need to maximize that time we have outside of work to really, you know, surround ourselves with people that we that can support us and people that we trust. These are all very big and thoughtful ideas. And this is a conversation in our house because I have, as you know, a daughter who's starting out on a path. And I think understanding some of these themes, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you can learn from what you're having to share with us about how to maintain a healthy relationship with anything you're passionate with, especially your job. So I'm you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I want to take notes on this. And also, lucky for us, you've written a book. So I don't have to take notes. Um, I wondered if you could switch gears a little bit and tell us about the journey or the decision to write the book. Yeah, of course. So I remember listening to an episode of my sister-in-law's podcast, Um, she was talking about her decision to give back to the industry where she works. And ultimately, that decision led to creating this podcast, which is called The Whole Veterinarian. It's essentially a podcast for veterinarians to encourage them to create a healthy and sustainable relationship with their work. And I really thought about this. I really was inspired by her motivation. And I thought to myself, you know, what am I doing for my industry? You know, what am I doing to support people who 
are new to the space. They are just just entering it. They're often struggling. Um, and I had been writing a blog for several years. And in April last year, so just over a, uh, over a year ago, I thought, you know, why don't I learn a little bit about self-publishing? I, I saw many people doing this and I, and I learned like anyone else did by watching YouTube videos about how self-publishing works. And, um, and I made the decision to publish my blogs into an ebook. And that was the first idea, essentially a, you know, um, uh, a selection of blogs published into one book. And then that idea started evolving. So I started um, thinking about what is the story? What is the purpose of this book? Why would someone want to read it from the beginning to the end? And I started to fill in the gaps. I started to think about, you know, not just fitting blog posts that I already wrote into this into this book, but how do I really tell a narrative? And so I, I started to create drafts. I started to fill in the gaps. And I started to reach out to readers, so people I trust, people I, I care about who work in the space. And I asked them, you know, can you look at this early version? Can you give me some advice? And this was so important because I realized that there were some clear gaps that I wanted to focus on. And I started to add or add to the, order, the overall scope of the book. And I began to make it more personal. I, I began to put more of me into the book and hopefully make it more accessible and interesting to read. And then in the end, I decided not just to publish it as an ebook, but also in paperback and hardcover. And here I am now, a year and a half later, about to publish. And I hope by the time you're listening to this, you can already find my book on Amazon. Oh, my goodness. For sure. We're going to talk a little bit about how folks can do that. I want to back up a little bit to something you said, which struck me, in that you mentioned filling in the gaps and creating a narrative. And um, let me actually even rewind a little bit further back to you watched YouTube videos on self-publishing. So my first question is, how did you even know what videos to watch? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I, I just started to just search on YouTube for videos about how to self-publish. Okay. And there's there's a very interesting group of people that do a lot of self-publishing, and that's people who write science fiction. So, so there's a lot of, there's a big community of people who write, um, who write science fiction and they do self-publishing and that's for a lot of reasons. They, they do it because they want to write and they have difficulty finding traditional publishers. Um, and also there's a market for it. There's a market for people to, to find and buy self-published science fiction. So that was very helpful because I started to kind of get in, get into the idea and there's some great great videos that just tell you, you know, start to finish everything you need to know about self-publishing. And then as I, as the, the idea evolved, I started to have really specific questions, like very specific questions, like how do I make the header, um, you know, different on the left page than it is on the right page, you know, because when you open a book, you've got one header on the left page and a different header on the right page. So I had to research, I had to figure out how to do that. Um, how do I make the page numbers, you know, start from one after chapter three, something like this. So I, I just got really specific with my questions and I just found answers to these sometimes really technical, technical questions. And I honestly, I've learned, learned a lot. It's, it's been a really interesting journey for myself mm -hmm. to kind of learn this new skill. That's so helpful. I mean, people listening have thought about writing their own books. And I love how you just literally laid that out. Thank you. I, that 
I'm, I'm thinking, goodness, I'm happy that we can listen to this over and over. Um, and also, um, what you mentioned, as I touched on, creating narratives and filling in gaps. And how did that come to you? How did you know that that was something that you needed to do as you got into the process of the writing? Yeah, so I remember the first time I sat down with an empty document and I wrote at the top the synopsis. So essentially I I summarized what I want the book to be. And then I started writing an outline. So essentially I, I wrote every chapter that I wanted and I really made it chronological. So I wanted the person to read this book to feel like it was a guidebook or a manual where they could start to the at the beginning and learn the basics, learn the the you know the the concepts around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, and then they could sort of move on to the next chapter and think about the building blocks, like what what kind of things do they need to do to set themselves up for success, then transition to the next chapter, et cetera, et cetera. So I essentially thought about the journey that someone takes in their job and how could each chapter of the book help them get through that journey? And when I mentioned that my re- my readers, my advanced readers gave me advice, it was so helpful because they they had a completely different, you know, they have different experiences, different expectations for what a book should be. So when they read through the first draft, they said, you know, you could really add a chapter around how to hire a consultant. This was, this was you know, such a great idea. I've never hired a consultant before, but they know that that's one of the most important things that someone does in this journey. You know, they fill in the gaps with some some extra outside help. Great advice. So then I started adding that chapter in. Another feedback reader said, you know, remember when you and I had this one specific experience with our employee resource groups? You should really write about that. Like, you should tell that story. It's going to be really helpful for people. So, yeah, I, I thought about all those situations, and I and I told those stories within the book. Telling stories. It's, it's become something that many of us are talking about and wondering and learning actually how to do. So thank you for sharing that part with me. Um, and it is making me think a little bit about given everything you've learned in writing the book, is there something that um, would surprise you that you have learned that you think folks might like to know about? something surprising that's come up for you in the, in the process? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, this was very new for me. So there was a lot of things that were kind of surprising, but maybe I'll talk about one thing in particular. So I've written a lot in my life. I've written blogs and papers and articles, but I've never charged money for anything I've written. And there's this whole new level of vulnerability in that. And I wasn't quite ready for that. You know, you have to be really proud and confident in your work to put a price tag on it. And, um, you know, I was processing that, that emotion, that feeling of, of, of a bit of insecurity or, um, questioning whether someone should actually give me money for this book. And, um, I want to say that's not unique to me. I think that happens to a lot of self-published authors because, you know, when you're not working with a professional editor or a publishing house, you don't have that feedback that tells you, you know, your your book deserves a price tag, right? So there was there was some time during this process where I kind of stalled on the project and I was feeling, you know, like maybe I'll just take a break a little bit. But then as I started getting feedback from my readers, you know, it was a big tipping point for me because 
they shared their thoughts with me. They were encouraging. They told me how valuable of a resource they found the book. And it really helped me to get through that, that moment. And it also made me realize and reflect that there's this balance between being really grateful and appreciative of all the people in your life who support you and inspire you to do such a project like this. But I also have to be proud of the effort that I've put into this project mm-hmm. to make it a success. So there's there's a balance there. And I think you need both those things all the time. I like that. And I don't think it just applies to writing a book. I think what you've just shared with us is a life lesson. It's something we can all hold on to. And for folks who are writing their books or interested in writing a book and who will be for sure reading yours, I like the idea that there's a balance to what folks give to us and what we learn to develop and own within ourselves. So I'm going to I'm going to hold on to that as I'm on my own journey and appreciative of the support I get but also hmm maybe I need to stop and think okay well I have done some of the work to get myself to this point which is kind of easy for us to poo poo. So thank you for that great gentle reminder. So speaking of all of this, right? Um I know you've already touched on much that I might have thought we would talk about later on. And I wonder if there might be something else that spontaneously comes to mind when you think of what your mind is currently full of after you have been this path and now you're about to actually print and sell your book. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm just going to give it a, give it some thought for a second. Of course. So maybe not related specifically to publishing the book, but you know, in general, what's on my mind lately is, you know, we can see the economy is sort of heading towards a bit of a downturn, and I have been reflecting, you know, how does diversity, equity, and inclusion fit into that? and whether we'll see organizations scale back their their work on DEI or whether we'll see sort of a new a new direction where um where we are a little bit more agile a little bit more flexible in what we do as as you know in DEI as a profession so i don't really have an answer but i am really curious to see what happens in the coming the coming months and also Another theme of the book is sort of how diversity, equity, and inclusion in Europe differs from diversity, equity, and inclusion in the U.S. So I'm also curious to see how, you know, what what that looks like, whether we see um, a scaling back in both locations or whether we just see scaling back in Europe, for example. But I'm, I'm I'm quite curious to see what that will be. Yeah. I'll be keeping an eye out as well. You know, what you've brought to our attention is how to look at what's happening in the workplace Um, and even in the world, with a little bit of a different perspective. So, very interesting. Hmm. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, There is so much you've said that we can fill our mind with. Um, And on a different note, I have had a tradition of asking a question from Deep Talk's Daily Questions, which I discovered from one of my favorite thinkers and authors, Dan Pink. Do you know Dan Pink? I don't, but I'm looking forward to checking him out. Yeah, terrific. I um, 
I have Dan's link in the show notes as well. He is somebody that went to college with my husband and some other folks, and he's a great business thinker and a, a wonderful human being sees things from a personal perspective. So I love what Dan has to say, and I'm in a group that he has also started where you can post something that you need help with and all the people in the group, if they can crowdsource and help you back, they will. It's, it's, really, um, it's really special to have a place to land to ask some questions out loud. In any event, I digress. One of the things that Dan, and I've been known to do that, that Dan um, uses is this 365 intriguing queries that are generated using artificial intelligence. And they're fun. He does it once a day. Um, But I like to ask the folks that I have a conversation with if they'd be willing to play and pick a number. And let's see what question comes up that we might learn a little something more about you from. What do you think? Will you play along with me? Yeah, sounds like fun. Okay. So if you were to pick a random number between 1 and 365... What would you pick? Let's go with 199. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm Carol Merrill spinning the wheel. I think I just dated myself. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's see. 199. Okay. Question number 199. What are your top three regrets? Oh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a heavy question. (laughs) This was the lighter part. Um. <laughs> That's a good question. Let, let me give it some thought. Of course. For a <laughs> so maybe maybe I'll talk about one one theme, thematic regret that touches on a lot of different moments in my life, okay. and that's that's. Being having fear in a decision and then delaying that decision. So essentially, sort of knowing that something's not working out, or knowing it's time to change careers, or knowing that it's time to make a big life decision, but then sort of waiting a little bit, like waiting a long time, and sometimes waiting years um, to move on that decision. And that might be around relationships or or anything. So you know. Maybe it's not so much of a regret, but just sort of learning to act on my instincts earlier and not, and, and I think it also comes with age, right? Like when you're in your 20s, it's it's easier to to waffle on some of these things and, and sort of try to hope that time will fix it. But um, but yeah, and and then another regret, I mean, I don't know if this is really a regret, but I am I am really sad that I'm I don't live so close to my family. You know, mm. I, I live in I live in Berlin, Germany. My family lives in uh near Philadelphia. And and I and I wish I wish it was somehow possible that we could live closer together. And I I'm I'm sad. I'm sad about that. And it's it makes visiting my family much more important to me and and really something that I, I cherish. Um so yeah, I mean, I think life is fill, filled with these contradictions, and um, maybe maybe regret is not quite the right word, but really reflecting on how you can see those opportunities in your life as learning, as moments to learn, instead of um, you know feel sad about. Okay, so I just had an aha moment. 
Dan Pink's most recent book. Are you ready for this? Yeah. It's called The Power of Regret. Wow. Whoa. What are the chances (laughs) that you pick that number? And this is the conversation. I love that. And everything you said, it's something that we talk with Adina about as well. So I'm happy that she, I know that it's hard to be in Berlin and to not be in Philadelphia. And I'm really grateful you are in Berlin while she's not in Colorado. That's a little bit about me. (laughs) I mean, that's one, you know, that's sort of a silver lining, right? Like sometimes we can, we can, we, we're still following our paths and it can be nice that I'm, I'm closer to your daughter. And that's, that's a nice, you know, something nice that comes out of this. Yeah. A hundred percent for me from my side looking in. So thank you. Um, What a wonderful conversation. Oh, Sarah, this is just how I felt at dinner that night. I just spoke to you and my heart softened and I thought, what an interesting and thoughtful, compassionate, smart woman you are. I really appreciate the time you are taking. Um, And I want to make sure we end with respect for time. So as we close our conversation, if you want listeners to remember anything about our conversation, Sarah, what would you like it to be? Yeah, so what I mentioned around work-life balance, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it never hurts to hear that reminder of of building um, sustainable relationships we have with the the, the jobs that we do. And I, I hope everyone sort of takes that with them and, and really reflects on, on what it means to have a fulfilling job, but also have the time and energy outside of that job to, to, to enjoy your life, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do. And then of course, I, I have to mention that if you are working in diversity, equity, and inclusion, or you're just interested to know what it's like to work in, in that field, um, please check out my book. And my website will be linked in the description of this podcast. And you can find it on Amazon in all the websites where Amazon, all the countries in which Amazon is sells. Um, so yeah, you can search for the name of the book or search for my, uh, my name and you will find it that way. Wonderful. Well, for sure, I'm going to put the links in the show notes below for Sarah's book and contact info or whatever it is that we decide she would enjoy um, connecting with all of our listeners. And Sarah, I just can't even thank you enough. What a wonderful, wonderful, thoughtful conversation. My mind is full of things, but at the same time, so is my heart. So thank you very, very much. And everyone, please make sure you check out the show notes uh, for takeaways from today's Mindful Conversation with Sarah Cordovano. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much. It was so nice to be here. Thank you. Bye-bye.